0: Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and this is Your Strata Property. Today, we'll be revisiting one of the most popular topics on this podcast, that of short-term letting. And specifically, you're going to be hearing from Robert Savage, who is a Victorian strata manager and also a lawyer. And I've asked Robert to come on the show to tell us all about that Victorian Supreme Court case that you may have heard a bit about. You may have read a bit about it in the paper. We're calling it the the Watergate case. And it's the first time that a superior court has made a decision on short-term letting, in Strata here in Australia. Now, I don't want to divulge too much more. I'll let Robert talk you through the effect of that case. But before we get stuck into that interview, I do want to take this opportunity to answer a listener question. Now, this question is from Sean and he has posted on the website under episode 20, which was my chat with Hallie Warnock about using recording devices in Strata meetings. And Sean says, I'm loving the podcast and really appreciate your work in making it available. Thank you, Sean. It's my pleasure. Sean says he's a little unclear on whether all meeting attendees or just a majority need to consent or not object to the audio recording of the meeting. So thank you for that question, Sean. That comes out of the discussion that Hallie and I were having, and we made the suggestion that if you do want to record a Strata meeting, that you announce that to the meeting and you call for everyone to consent to that. And we also suggested that there indeed be a motion placed on the agenda that's resolved to record the meeting. So Sean's question is essentially, do you need unanimous consent to the meeting being recorded? Now, what I suggest is this, Sean, if anybody objects to the meeting being recorded, say to that person, do you agree for the meeting to be recorded if whatever you say is not recorded. So if the recording is turned off whenever you speak or there is no record made of your part in the recording. So for example, if there's going to be a transcription of the recording, then whatever that person says is then cut out and not recorded in the transcript. And I raise this simply because I've seen it happen before where that's been put to an objecting person and they've said, fine, as long as it's turned off when I speak or as long as there is no record made of my input into this meeting, then I'm happy for it to proceed. So I think you can proceed with the recording in that circumstance. I don't think you can proceed with the recording if somebody says, no, I object to this and I don't consent to the meeting being recorded, full stop. So that's the long answer to your question, perhaps, Sean. If you do have somebody openly objecting and saying, I don't consent, then no, you can't go ahead with the recording. Do try that option of suggesting that the recording be stopped whenever they speak. That might work out. Otherwise, no, don't go ahead in the face of an objection. But that's not to say you need unanimous approval. I I wouldn't go around asking every person in the meeting, do you consent? Do you consent? As you put in your comment there, Sean, it's a a matter of having people not objecting rather than everyone consenting. Now, Sean also asks if I can suggest the wording for a motion to go on the agenda dealing with whether or not the meeting should be recorded. And indeed I can, I have actually posted a copy of just such a motion on the website. If you and anyone else interested in obtaining a copy of this motion, go to yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash motion to record. Motion to record is all one word. Yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash motion to record. And you can grab yourself a copy of that sample motion and you can cut and paste that into the agenda of your next meeting. And yes, I do agree with Sean. He raises in his comment, should this be the first item on the agenda? Yep, absolutely. That would make sense. So if you're wanting to place a motion on your agendas to raise this issue at the beginning of the meeting, head on over to the website, yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash motion to record, and you can grab yourself a copy of my sample motion. Sean also did ask whether the motion needs to reference the relevant act. The motion I've drafted doesn't reference any legislation, and it's really up to you. Um, I assume that you mean there, Sean, um, the Surveillance Devices Act or whatever the similar act is in your state. I would suggest probably not. I don't think there's a need to overcomplicate things. I think maybe when you're putting a motion on the agenda that references things like the Surveillance Devices Act, you're immediately going to have people running a mile so or being confused and wondering what that's all about. So let's keep it simple. I don't think there's a reason to reference any legislation. So thank you very much. That was a really great question, Sean, and I hope that has helped a number of you out there who may have had a similar question. Please do feel free to send your questions in. There's space for you to post them under each episode on the website. Just go off to the homepage page, yourstrataproperty.com.au and you can click on podcasts in the top menu of the homepage. And the web address again, for those of you who want to download a copy of my suggested motion, if you want to record your meetings, yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash motion to record. Moving on to my interview with Robert Savage. Enjoy. Robert Savage is a Senior Strata Manager with Owners' Corporation Management in Melbourne. He is also a lawyer with an extensive background in strata law, previously practising in both Queensland and Victoria, advising Owners' Corporations and Body Corporates on a range of matters, including contract disputes, debt recovery, interpretation of plans, property development, building water disputes, enforcement of rules and management rights. In his role as an Owners Corporation Manager, he manages a number of large mixed-use developments in Melbourne, ranging in size from 200 to 800 lots. Wow, that is huge. Robert is able to combine his knowledge and understanding of the law with the practical knowledge expected of a manager to provide quick and pragmatic advice to lot owners, residents, committees and developers. Today, I am delighted to welcome Robert Savage from Owners Corporation Management. Welcome, Robert.
1: Wonderful. Thank you very much, Amanda, and thank you to all the listeners out there.
0: They are very lucky to have you indeed. And now as a lawyer and a strata manager, you are uniquely placed, I think, to discuss today's topic with us. We're talking about short-term letting in the aftermath of the Watergate decision from the Victorian Supreme Court. So the first thing I'll ask you, Robert if at all possible, could you give us a layperson's guide or I won't say idiot's guide because there's no idiots listening, of course, a layperson's summary to this case and what is it exactly that the the Victorian Supreme Court has decided about short-term letting in Victoria?
1: Excellent. Well, well, long and short of it, many Victorian residents would be aware of the Watergate case. It's been in the news frequently over the last two, three years, but the dispute between the owners, corporation and the operators of the Docklands Executive Apartments has been ongoing for a number of years. Just by way of background for the listeners outside of Victoria, Watergate is an apartment building in Melbourne's Docklands just behind Etihad Stadium with 349 residential apartments over two towers and some retail lots on the ground floor. The plan of subdivision was registered back in 2004 and the majority of occupancy permits were issued for the apartments as Class 2 under the Building Code. Fourteen apartments were utilised by the respondents to the case, Salter and Balcombe, to operate their short-term letting business, known as Docklands Executive Apartments. Docklands Executive Apartments have been operating for over eight years and received approximately 3,500 three bookings and over 10,000 guests over that time. Salter and Balcom actually own one of the apartments and live on site to facilitate the operation of their business. And in the evidence they gave in the proceedings... They put forward that they charged executive pricing, had a policy of a minimum seven-day stay, obtained photo identification and credit card details of the guests and had a zero tolerance of poor behaviour and would immediately evict troublesome guests. Hmm. At the inaugural meeting in August 2004, by special resolution, the owners or the developer at the time resolved to register additional rules in the uh, Victorian Titles Office. Those additional rules included the dispute at Rule 34, which basically provided for, sorry, prohibited short stay for any length of time less than one month. Many uh, Victorian readers and listeners would recall that in 2011 it was when Watergate first started making the news down here. The City of Melbourne issued building orders to approximately 42 lot owners who were operating apartments within Watergate as short-term stay, thereby rendering the apartments as a Class 3 under the building code. Class 3 is generally your hotel-style operation, Mm -hmm. Uh, Council claimed that the use of the apartments for commercial short-stay was not permitted under the existing Class two occupancy permits. After a visit to the Supreme Court in December 2013, uh, the matter was referred back to the Building Appeals Board, which was under the building orders uh, that were issued, and in October 2014, the Owners Corporation and the Salter and Balcom agreed to consent orders, and I'll just quickly summarise them for you. Mm -hmm. The owners of the lots, uh, those 42 lots, agreed to install specific smoke alarms, affix emergency evacuation plans to the rear of the apartment doors and provide necessary certificates of compliance to council. The OC agreed to review exit signage in the residential corridors to ensure compliance to the council's satisfaction and it was requested that written records of tenants acknowledging receipt of safety evacuation inductions be uh, provided or carried out. Watergate fell off the radar for about uh, a period of about 12 months uh, until the VCAT decision and member Rowland, uh, an experienced member in VCAT down here, handed down her judgment in June last year. And basically that judgment was to the effect that the owners Corporation did not have powers conferred on it by the Owners Corporation Act and the prior Subdivision Act and the regulations to make such a law to prohibit short-term accommodation Mm -hmm. so the owners corporation could only make a rule preventing nuisance hazard or noise with respect to the permitted use of a lot it was not a rule with respect to preventing nuisance hazard or noise and accordingly she found that uh, it was beyond the owners corporation's ability to prohibit short-stay this matter then went on appeal and it was heard middle of this year before Justice Reardon in the Supreme Court of Victoria And that decision, as we all know, was handed down in late July. Uh, And basically, Justice Reardon found, likewise, that Rule 34 was invalid. And he's given an 82-page judgment, I think it is, off the top of my head. I wouldn't mind saying to readers at the start, if you'd like a history of Victorian and New South Wales (laughs) strata community title legislation from the 1950s onwards, he gives a wonderful short summary (laughs) uh, of each. And it's a very well-written judgment. Don't be off-put by the 82 uh, pages, though.
0: Yes, I have to confess that I started to look at it, and then I saw the length of it, and then I decided, no, I'll just talk to Robert about it. <laughs> so... <Yeah.
1: laughs> I've read it a couple of times now, and... Uh... It's a very good judgment, but if you're only interested in how it affects owners' corporations uh, or more interested after listening to this podcast, then you can skip some of the sections. Obviously, the the history of Mm. community title may not be attractive to you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so so
0: Supreme Court has said, we agree with um, VCAT.
1: Member Rowland in VCAT. Basically, uh, and I've got five points down here, I'd like to... Yeah, go for ...the it. main five points from the judgment. So, Justice Reid uh, reinforced that the function of the OC, which is predominantly set out in Section 4 of our Owners' Corporation Act in Victoria, is to manage and administer common property, repair and maintain common property, maintain strata insurance, keep records and issue certificates and provide mechanisms to resolve disputes. The powers of the OC to make rules are set out in, as I said, section 138 of the Act and relate mainly to the health, safety and security of lot owners and occupiers and invitees, how a change of use of lots may affect things like the payment of premiums and behaviour of owners, occupiers and invitees on common property, including noise and nuisance control. He also went on to say that the rule exceeded the power of the owners' corporation, as did Member Rowland and interfered with the proprietary rights of lot owners to use their lots as uh, legally they are able to do. And that's about all.
0: Thank you for that, Robert. That's a really good summary. This, I think, coming from someone who hasn't read the case, I think that's a really good summary. This decision has had quite a bit of impact here in New South Wales as well. And certainly we as lawyers are getting phone calls from lot owners and strata managers who either have bylaws that deal with short-term letting or want bylaws that deal with short-term letting and are quite concerned about what this decision means. I think it's an interesting decision. First of all, I'll ask you, What do you think it means for owners' corporations in Victoria who are dealing with short-term letting? And then maybe I can tack onto that what I think it means for owners' corporations in New South Wales.
1: What it means is that the owners' corporation can't enforce uh, a rule that aims to prohibit Airbnb short-stay accommodation. Mm. That power rests solely with either your local council under their planning regulations or the Victorian government under their wider planning controls. So it's not for, and Justice Reading went into this in certain sections of his judgment, it's not for a group of owners to determine how uh, a lot may be used. It was not the intention of Parliament to allow the owners as a collective to determine what may or may not be an appropriate use of the lot on a whim, so to speak.
0: What I find interesting about this case, Robert, first of all, I'll say it, it's not binding on the New South Wales judicial system. Uh, it's a case that's been decided in Victoria by the Victorian Supreme Court. Whilst it is very interesting where we have the same issue coming up in our tribunal or, or in our Supreme Court, which hasn't happened yet, this isn't a case that our courts are bound to follow. I'll, I'll just say that for the benefit of the, of the listeners. And it's certainly a question that I've been getting the last few weeks. What I find interesting about this case is that the courts found that the Owners' Corporation has exceeded its power. It has interfered with proprietary rights of lot owners by making this rule. And not practising in Victoria, I'm not sure exactly of the ins and outs of the Act, but certainly in New South Wales, we our strata titles legislation is very broad and has been interpreted very broadly by our courts. Not every case, but a lot of cases. And it is interpreted on the basis that owners' corporations have a broad power to make rules about broad things, even if they interfere with proprietary rights, which is kind of this anathema in property law. And lawyers who practice in this area are constantly frustrated by this because we think, well, there's got to be some limits. There's got to be some limits on the power of these owners' corporations to make their own rules and to interfere with the way that people live their daily lives. But... There really isn't, and that's certainly my view and my interpretation of the legislation and also how some Supreme Court judges have taken the same view and seen the legislation. But I found it interesting that the Victorian Supreme Court said with quite a bit of certainty there are certainly limits and this is one of them and there shouldn't be this kind of interference. I wonder whether faced with the same factual circumstances a New South Wales judge would have come to the same decision. I'm not sure that they would have.
1: It's interesting and and I do like to read about what happens in New South Wales and obviously having uh, previously practised up in Queensland as a lawyer, I'm very interested in there are a few other cases that I uh, know of. There was one in Brisbane, the Quest underneath the Story Bridge, where it was almost a reverse scenario where council issued uh, notices, I understand, against a, a small group of owners living in a Quest hotel uh, and basically saying that the planning controls over that area did not allow you to stay on a permanent basis. Mm. Uh, there was also a decision, I think it was the Casarina decision. Yep, Casarina Rec South Club. Wales. Yep.
0: That's a court yep. of appeal decision and it's the one that I'm thinking of when I when I talk like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and uh, and Justice Reed did briefly touch on that in his judgment. Mm. But I've always found that one interesting in that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Amanda, basically Everyone signed the contracts off the plan, knowing this, the rules, and those same rules were registered, and they were able to be reinforced. So it's, um, you know, if uh, if you in Victoria, if you buy into a, a an off the plan um, development, and it says that no short term stays permitted, or stays must be greater than thirty or sixty or ninety days, there's a reasonable assumption, I think, for the buyer that that's going to be the nature mm. uh, of the development. So mm. you know whether or not In the long term, this is the right decision. I think it's the right decision in that it gives us clarity as to how the judiciary will view these rules, Mm. but there is a lot of angst amongst a lot of owners uh, for good reason. There are incidents where predominantly a number of short-term apartments and the guests where they do cause Mm. uh, or do affect the other owners' use and enjoyment of the common property and Certain places have become party central, so mm. to speak. So, so where we go as a community, as a wider community, we still need to resolve this. It's, it's as an industry, we need more guidance from parliament. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think when the courts are looking at this legislation, they do look to what the parliament's intention was and they say things like, well, if the parliament intended for owners' corporations to have such broad and wide-ranging powers, then they would have used express language and and put that into the legislation. Well, um, we read that as lawyers as a bit of a pitch to the legislators, the judges saying, hey, guys, can you please step in here and fix this up, which is something that you might see in Victoria.
1: The wheels are turning, I think, across in Australia and and we are slowly coming up with and grappling with these decisions.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. And I think something else to bear in mind for all of our listeners is that when we talk about these cases where bylaws are being challenged and rules are being challenged and their validity, in every circumstance, it comes down to the wording of that particular rule, the wording of that particular bylaw. And that's something important to remember. We can get into a panic about a case that's just been determined a certain way your rule that you have for short-term letting or whatever it is, your bylaw that you have might be worded quite differently to the one in this case. And uh, I expect, Robert, that the Victorian Supreme Court judge who was looking at this case looked quite closely at the words of the bylaw and and made a decision based in that wording.
1: Look, he was uh, from the judgment, he certainly did, and he went to great length to review the legislation and the regulations that were in force back in 2004 and Victorian uh, people would uh, know that the Onus Corporation Act and regulations came into effect in 2008. So they, uh, at each, the justice applied the rule under the previous legislation, the previous regulations to see if it was valid or not, and also the current one. So mm. it's a, it was a very in-depth analysis of the rule. Just like you said, uh, those with legal training will look to that particular wording, and it should be pointed out that in this particular instance, the um, decision was that it wasn't valid.
0: Mm. And just just returning again to comparing this to the, the New South Wales situation, we have this section in our Act, which basically says that you can make a bylaw for the purpose of the control, management, uh, use or enjoyment, I think it says, of lots and common property. Mm-hmm. A bylaw is valid if it relates to any of those things, the control, management, use, enjoyment of lots and common property. And there are lawyers and certainly academics in New South Wales who have expertise in this area who say because of the existence of that section, you can have bylaws in New South Wales that are incredibly broad and incredibly invasive. And I'm not sure that that's mirrored in the Victorian legislation. I think hearing what you said about the case where it came down to, well, you can have bylaws dealing with uh, safety and nuisances and hazards. Security. Security. It sounds like your legislation points a little bit more to what the kinds of things you can have bylaws about. Ours does that a little bit, but it says that it's not limited to those things. But because we have this express statement, which, which I think mm. is what the judge was probably looking for, which didn't exist in the Victorian legislation, this express statement that we have this broad power. That's why I question whether we'd have this kind of decision in New South Wales.
1: Right, right. Well, I think it's a, it's a lot clearer in Victoria now following this. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's right. And, and planning instruments, I always say, look, I've spoken about this on the podcast before. We've had episodes where we've spoken about short-term letting and I've had a direct question, you know, can we or can't we have bylaws? And I always say, Your starting point is your planning instruments, and that sounds like it it might be the same case in Victoria. You want to look to what your council does permit and, and doesn't permit And if the council is expressly saying short term stays, service departments are prohibited, they are not permitted, then I've always said that's pretty solid grounds to have a bylaw that basically says the same thing. Mm. So it's not the bylaw that's outlawing the short term stay, it's the council's planning instrument and your bylaw is just confirming that in a way that's easily accessible for owners and easy to read and understand.
1: That certainly makes a lot of sense as well. If it's not uh, approved by council, then the bylaws there as an extra level of enforcement to ensure that legal activities only occur (laughs) in the development.
0: Yeah. Okay. So look, we can can keep going down the rabbit warren of this case (laughs) for a while, I think you and I. So what I want to ask you, Robert, what is your view as a strata manager? What should owners corporations be doing to deal with this issue effectively from a management perspective?
1: Look, from a management point of view, it's the main issue with short stay is the trouble uh, that it that it can bring to a building. So your 2am parties in the swimming pool, your possible impairment to your security at the building where fobs are left at the front door in the letterbox, so to speak. You know, these are serious issues for all the other residents and owners of the development. So you still need to be aware that security of the building should be paramount. It's people's homes. It's, it's everyone's castle. Noise, nuisance... I said, swimming pool parties at 2am in the morning, that can occur with long-term residents, it can in fact affect owners. Saturday night, you need to deal with these on a case-by-case basis and the same should be applied to owners, long-term residents, as it were to anyone causing trouble that may or may not be staying there for one or two or three nights. Mm. One issue that we are still grappling with down here is gym inductions. It's uh, generally a recommendation of most of our buildings ensures that an induction process occurs how do you induct someone who's only there for one or two nights?
0: Ah, yes, indeed.
1: (laughs) So generally in these larger buildings, and larger buildings, you'd say over about 300 apartments plus, as an owner's corp, you'd have an induction either by appointment or say every second Tuesday night, come down to the gym at 8 o'clock at night and here's half hour, we'll get you to sign some paperwork and off you go. Some buildings in Victoria I know of uh, are using this to also limit the attractiveness of short-stay apartments mm-hmm. but of course once people have access and the security swipes then they can still use the facilities so yeah it's, it's paramount on the building management and building management as in the concierge your building managers mm. to still mm-hmm. ensure that the safety of anyone within the building is satisfied at that particular point in time mm. that's it that's everyone's goal.
0: Yeah, I really like that point you make about inductions and some clever buildings out there who are using that as a way to uh, lessen the attractiveness of short-term stays. So are you saying that any new tenants have to go through the induction in order to get their their access to the building, in order to get their swipe card? Is that how it's working?
1: Yes, in the buildings that I manage, and and this is in consultation with the committees as well, I should say, we run a number of induction programs and Mm. we generally allow people two weeks to partake in, in one of the induction programs before we limit their access to facilities. So this is just to, for people's own safety. We want people to at least have a very basic understanding of how to use gym equipment and swimming pools and you know not stay in the sauna for 12 hours mm-hmm. um, <laughs> as a protection mechanism and to increase their use and enjoyment of the uh, facilities that yep. we have on offer in the building. So that's under committee direction. Some of the other issues which I've heard of in relation to Airbnb short stay type of accommodation is I've heard some owners just putting up a a key safe at the front door without OC approval. So for those of you that aren't aware of key safes it's normally a little little black box with you know the 10 digits uh, that you can key in a certain four six eight digit code and it opens up and you get the keys and access to the apartment. Hmm. Um, High risk.
0: (laughs) Yeah definitely.
1: That's probably more so an, an issue in the smaller buildings but Mm -hmm. it's one that i have heard a number of times that people have just put in at Mm. at the front door obviously you know if you stay there once you might know the code and it may not have changed you go back and stay for free the next time
0: yeah that is terrifying (laughs) i I, I guess the lesson is (laughs) Even though we might not have a short-stay bylaw or a, a bylaw that prohibits short-term letting or an enforceable bylaw that prohibits short-term letting, yep. there are a number of other ways to deal with this issue by um, targeting those other infringements and disturbances on people's quiet enjoyment so you're talking Mm. about things like noise and nuisance and hazards we can have bylaws about all of those things so why not be creative about it and start enforcing those bylaws against the owners who are letting their apartments for short-term stays and make life a bit of a headache for them so they can rethink whether this is all worth it is that sort of your thoughts along those lines
1: Yeah, that's right. And I might just share with you a, uh, a story from one of my colleagues, actually. Yeah, a, please do. Another practicing strata manager from a, from another company here in Melbourne. He lives in uh, in Richmond, which is in a city, most people know where Richmond is, the other side of the MCG, and uh, lived in a small scheme, I think only about 10 or 12 apartments. And one owner decided to list their apartment on uh, on one of the short-stay websites. Um, so for a period of about two months, they had a different person stay there every weekend. So what they did, and, and it took about two to three months, as I recall him telling me the story, that they, they spoke to the owner a number of times, and, and they started taking photographs of some of the people that were coming <laughs> through <laughs> the apartment. Yep. And they said, look, we don't know who these people are. We're, we all live here, and we know you're still paying your levies, you're, you're a good owner, but we are starting to feel unsafe with who is coming into this apartment block. Mm. And after about two to three months, the owner finally went, you know what, I'm sorry, I I never saw it that way. It finally Mm. started to sink in. And so they put it back onto long-term six or 12-month rental terms. So the Watergate decision does not mean that through good communication and good neighbourly relations, we'll say, Mm. that you may or may not be able to convince other people not to have their apartment in that short-term operation
0: yeah, yeah, I like that. That's something that we we too often overlook. I think speaking to those owners where you, where you can, and I know obviously in those larger buildings, this happens on a much larger scale. And sometimes mm. it's a it's a corporate owner that's running an entire service department business, but where you do have those buildings, where it is a one-off or one or two owners or a small group Hmm. why not sit down with them and have the conversation and say hey do you realize how this is affecting us not only financially due to the drain on our common facilities but emotionally that we have to come home to a place where we've got strangers in and out um, and we feel unsafe
1: yeah yeah we don't know who's walking past our front door at any given time now
0: yeah i like that okay the book question robert what (laughs) books have had the greatest impact on you and why
1: Oh, look, greatest impact on me. Um, there's been quite a few biographies, I'm um, also from the uh, sports uh, scenario, yeah. uh, guys like John Eels, uh, Rod McQueen was a great one. Yep. Many readers might know that he I think he had polio when he was young, but just the, the drive and determination and then in the later years how he got, uh, I think it was the Manly Rugby Club from first through to fifth grade all on the same page, so to speak, and everyone, you know, a large collective of people all going for the one goal and, and how... He achieved ultimate success with the Wallabies. Nice one. Yeah, those type of stories I like. I read a lot of... uh, um...
0: (laughs) Supreme Court cases?
1: (laughs) (laughs) At the moment, yes. There's a few decisions going around here in Victoria. Mm. But um, look, you know, be it, say, a a short one-page article on, say, how to better use your time or I've, I've just recently started reading... Uh, how to better run your meetings. so it was a death by a thousand meetings it's called um i've got an online version so maybe in a, a month or two we can check in and i'll uh, might yeah. have a top 10 so to speak yep. um I don't know if it's good or bad that it was given to me by a committee member.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends how, depends how those meetings are going.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, she found it very useful and, uh, and she's an accountant. So, I thanked her for handing it over to me. And, oh, good. Uh,
0: if you have a link to that, please let me know because I'm sure there's plenty of listeners out there who are on the edge of their seats right now saying, I want that.
1: <laughs> and, uh, and as we were discussing previously, uh, my current reading list is mainly Peppa Pig and the exciting adventures yes, that she gets herself right. into. <laughs> yes, and, little uh, ones and, around. And uh, Dory and Nemo are the Flavor of the month as well in my household <laughs> with two young children so oh I, I, I may read every night but
0: uh, <laughs> maybe not what you what you to read. themselves <laughs> oh yes well you know I have the, the three and a half year old so we generally read the same book every night for about two weeks until we yeah. move on to the next one so they're burned yeah. into my brain
1: too that's right that's right
0: <laughs> okay well thank you so much for giving us your time today Robert I will make sure that there is a link to a copy of the Watergate decision on as part of the show notes for this episode. So anybody who does want to jump in there and get some light or not so light bedtime reading, please check it out. And if you have specific questions for Robert or for myself about what that case means and and what's coming out of that case, please do put a comment under the episode on the website and uh, I'll be sure to, to help address those. And if I have to refer back to Robert for his assistance, I will on those questions. So before we wrap up, Robert, how do listeners find out more about you and is there anything else you want to add?
1: Oh, certainly all listeners can uh, contact me. I'm at Owners Corporation Management down here in Victoria, also on LinkedIn, quite active on LinkedIn yep. uh, under Robert Savage. Just drop me a line, be it uh, always happy to meet up and for a cup of coffee or have a chat about the Watergate decision,
0: <laughs> uh, see how it affects
1: other managers. Wonderful. More than available.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much, Robert. I look forward to having you on a future episode of the podcast.
1: Wonderful. Thanks for inviting me, Amanda, and thank you to everyone out there. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?